you know, a big reason why people have fear and shame is that money is the ultimate taboo topic. I mean, we're not talking about it. We're not talking about it at home growing up. We're not talking about it in schools. We're not talking about it at work. I mean, we're just not talking about it. We talk about sex more than we do about money. This is the Alchemized Life podcast, and I am your host, Ava Johanna transformational mentor, speaker, teacher, and most importantly, a woman on a mission to bring wellness to the world. This podcast was created to bridge the gap for anyone craving more love, health, and happiness in each and every day. And with every episode, you will receive practical guidance to create magic in your own life. Combining the expertise of wellness visionaries and thought leaders, each week we will bring it back to basics and provide you with the tools meant to empower you to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So together, let's ditch the mean girl, you can't sit with us vibes, grab your favorite yoga pants, and start to find your uniquely alchemized life. Happy Monday, guys. Welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. Shannon McClay of The Financial Gym is joining me today, and I can't wait for you guys to listen to this conversation. I worked with The Financial Gym for a while in 2019, and it was really, really helpful, not only on airing out my money shit, but also getting really clear on the steps I needed to take in order to make my financial goals a reality. So you guys are really going to like this conversation. Listen, Getting financially naked, as Shannon and her team call it, is uncomfortable, but it is necessary to really start respecting our relationship with money. And, you know, if you want to have a good relationship with money, if you want to have a lot of money in the bank, if you want to be attracting a lot of money, you have to respect money. You have to be in the vibration of holding a lot of money. And so I'm really excited because in this conversation with Shannon, we talk about a lot of the logical steps and, um, you know, how to pay off debt and how to feel comfortable making money and saving money. But on the other hand, the thing that I think that I really thrive in and that I really support my clients in is the energetic vibration of money and really supporting them and moving into alignment with what it means to be an energetic match for not only making money, but saving money too, and having money in the bank. That was an interesting thing for me to learn a while ago is that there's a different vibration to making money versus having money in the bank. I'm really, really good at making money, but I'm also really, really good at spending money too. So I realized after a while of launching my own business, like, hey, I'm making a lot of money, but how come I don't have any money saved up? Or how come I still seem to feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck? And through investing in my own coach and working on my own beliefs and stories around money, I realized that I was not holding the vibration of having money. I was only holding the vibration of making money. And so I share this with you guys because it's all things that we have an opportunity to overcome. They're all challenges or again, opportunities that we can shift and move into a greater relationship with, if that makes sense. So if you make a lot of money right now, but don't save a lot of money, look at it as an opportunity to now learn and overcome another, you know, hurdle of beliefs that have ultimately been hardwired in us because of our parents. You know, I know that my spending is because my mom would always spend money the moment that it came into her bank account and we did live paycheck to paycheck and we didn't have a lot of money or any money saved up. And so that was all that I was mirrored, you know as I was growing up. So I didn't know anything else. But now that I have clarity and awareness around that being my framework for money, 
I now have an opportunity to establish a new framework and a new relationship. And so it's been really, really cool over the past year to not only get clarity on, okay, cool, I'm making a lot of money, but I'm not saving it. I'm actually spending it. How can I start to shift this? And so on the other side, although I'm not perfect, but I do have to say that I've made so much growth over the past year that I'm so proud of. I can see now the steps that are necessary on a daily basis to get into alignment, that energetic alignment with the energy of not only making money, but saving money and having money in the bank. It's powerful work, you guys. And we are all worthy of having a lot of money, of making a lot of money, of saving a lot of money, and of spending a lot of money too. We're all worthy of that. Yet for some reason, we have lost sight of our worthiness. And this is something that I talk about often with my private clients and my group clients. And honestly, it's an epidemic. It is such a travesty to see so many women working so hard, either not charging enough for their services or charging enough, but somehow not having the money in the bank that makes them feel like they are that next level version of themselves. You know, for so long, I was like, okay, well, I'm, you know, I have five figure months, but why don't I feel like a five figure earner? Why don't I feel like that leader that can really hold space for women to do the same as well? And it's because I wasn't embodying all of it. And that's really the biggest mistake that I see with new entrepreneurs when they're leveling up in their business or raising their prices. It's like we learn all of these tools. We learn that we can connect to our intuition. We learn how to meditate. We learn how to fuel our creativity. We learn what it means to be in alignment, yet we are not actually implementing them daily. And the daily implementation is really where the magic happens. I feel like there's almost this major bypassing of the tools that actually get you into this like success state of mind. And instead we're super thirsty to go straight to the strategy or super thirsty to just manifest the money, but not actually keep it. And here's the thing, the strategy itself is to actually be in this heart-driven energy because it's the foundation. And when you skip this step of alignment, of intuition, of creativity, of showing up daily, you're really missing out on the massive opportunity to not only amplify your message, but welcome way more ease into the process of building a badass business and building a lot of wealth. And like I said, I've done both. And let me tell you, Taking 15 to 20 minutes daily to commit to your vision, to commit to this up-leveled mindset around money, around wealth, around energy, around being the leader that you are before actually jumping into your work is way more fun and flowy. It moves you away from a state of doubt and it puts you in this position to really take action with ease and direction versus the mindless loop of shooting all over yourself or of, again, finding yourself in these patterns of making money and then spending it and never actually saving. I'll be real though, like accountability is key. And that's why I love the podcast. That's why I've always hired a coach during these times of up-leveling where I can feel within myself that something is shifting. And I have to say, for those of you that feel that, that feel this up-leveling, that feel this like almost crawling or breaking out of your skin because you are ready to move on to that next stage, get a coach find a group or enlist in a like-minded like business bestie because it makes it so much easier to show up for yourself and this version of yourself daily when you have someone there cheering you along the way, like your own personal cheer squad. It's so powerful. And I share this because it really works. 
it's worked for me. It's worked for my clients and I want it to work for you too. And I'm really excited. Last week I announced that I'm relaunching Be Your Own Mentor, which you can enroll in now and get instant access to. It's so much fun. But I started thinking about my relationship with courses and how every time that I've ever bought a course, I never make it all the way through. I think there was one course that I did make it all the way through. And that missing element was really the accountability there and the support. And so if you are looking to basically add a shot of espresso to my Be Your Own Mentor course and really get the clarity and the direction in your soul's purpose and not only your soul's purpose, but like actually like establishing business experience so you can bring your soul's purpose to life. I am launching my 10 week business accelerator program in March, and I could not be more excited for this group offering. And this coaching program is really for the women that are sick of playing small or letting their lack of business experience stop them from finding the actions and the alignment necessary for creating a business that they are seriously obsessed with and so passionate about. So is this you? Do you have like this like yearning and this calling inside of you, but feel like you don't know where to take the first step or lack the business experience and confidence to be able to really show up? I think that a lot of you are nodding right now. And this is for the woman that is ready to work through all of that, ready to work through self-doubt, ready to work through imposter syndrome and really feel worthy of success and being a leader. You're ready to be seen. I know that you are. It's just having the support to know how to best show up, how to best show up on Instagram, how to create an email list, how to build community, what the fuck to put on your website, all of those things that are really important. But the underlying foundation also is that energetic alignment and that accountability to really committing and holding the vision. So if you are interested in enrolling and applying for this 10-week group accelerator program, I am would love to support you truly from the bottom of my heart. The group that is coming together is already so badass. And it's just going to be, again, like your own personal cheer squad. And I'm going to be in your back pocket. So it's going to be super fucking fun. And in addition to enrolling in the course, of course, you get Be Your Own Mentor as well as all my other courses. So Unbreakable Confidence, which really will support you in showing up into that next level version of yourself. It's powerful, you guys. This work is so much fun and I cannot wait to support the women that are going to get involved. They are incredible. Like I'm already channeling all of them and they're so excited to be together in community and to support each other and to really, really amplify their missions and their messages. Basically like put a megaphone up to your mission. That's what we're doing. So again, link is in the show notes. If you want to apply, I'm accepting applications now. And one of the beautiful things about this program is that you're also going to get one-on-one time with me. So apply via the link in the show notes. I cannot wait to talk to all of you. It's going to be so much fun. And without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode with Shannon McClay. Again, she is the founder of The Financial Gym. You guys are going to love this episode. It really gets into all of the tangible nitty gritty of building finances, building wealth. So You guys, let's be abundant AF by the end of this episode. Enjoy. You guys, welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. I'm sitting here. And like you said, we are just two girlfriends sitting on the couch. I am with Shannon McClay, who is the CEO and founder of Financial Gym. You guys... We have a really good conversation today. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming on. I am so excited to be here. I'm really... I think anybody listening right now has to be super jealous of your sofa um, because it's super comfortable and you're all decked out for the holidays. And it's really... Is this a special... 
special recording session for me. There's a vibe, right? Yeah. There's yeah. total vibe. I know. We should have like a little bit of Christmas music in the background. I know. Or There's like a candle that. going. I mean, this is literally all the feels right now. All I, the holiday feels are I happening. I love it. I love it. And we like kind of coordinated our outfits yes. with a little bit of black, we're some both, leopard. We're both we in leopard it. print. <laughs> we didn't even plan it either. Amazing. So Shannon... Like I said before we hopped on, 2019 was like really my year to get my shit together financially. And I remember when I first started working with the amazing Victoria. Yes, she is, is amazing. Yeah, who is a um, financial trainer yes. at the financial gym. I was so nervous yeah. to sit down with her because I just had never really like looked at my finances. And so I've heard from so many people that uh, listen to the podcast or follow me on Instagram that they feel very similar. Like Mm -hmm. they don't even want to open up their bank account. So I'm really excited to talk about finances with you today, dive into all of those like icky feelings that we have surrounding money. But I want to start first just by like hearing your story of like your money story and how Financial Gym came to be. Yeah. So my money story goes back to uh, starting when I was 18 years old and I went to college and I want, I, it was very practical about what I wanted to do. I said, I just want to be a business major because I just want to make money. And um, that was it. And I was very clear on that. And I became a business major. I graduated in 2000. I became, I worked on the trading floor. I was one of only 15 women out of 200 plus people on the trading floor. Me too was me too. Um, and But I loved it. I, I loved working on the trading floor. I loved working in finance. I loved making money. And I did that very actively for the next eight years. And then I was coming up on my 30th birthday and um, all my friends were having breakdowns about turning 30 because they weren't married or they didn't have kids or all the life goals they felt like they should be at at that point. And I remember telling my then husband, now ex-husband, spoiler alert, um, that... I was 30 was going to be so easy for me because I have this great job. And I did. I had an amazing job in the investment banking, kid, husband, house, like all the things. And I was like, I have it all. So 30s, I can't wait for 30. I had a great 30th birthday, hit 30 and a half and had a complete meltdown. And um, I didn't want the husband, didn't want the kid, didn't want the job. It was like I signed up for somebody else's life and I had a lot of depression about it. And started doing a lot of, you know, soul searching, ended up getting life coached. And in the process of getting life coached, I read this book about happiness and it was 400 pages of woo-woo. But at the end of it all, he said that the way to find long-term happiness is um, to help other people and not expect anything in return. And that was my first aha of of life, really. I was like, that really resonated with me. And I thought that's that just spoke to me and spoke to my soul. And here I was, it was it came as a surprise to me too, because my whole life, professional life was I'm making money and not saving the world. And then I really did want to make a change. And so then I started kind of changing the direction of my life choices. And I was back working for Bank of America at the time and working with Merrill Lynch Financial Advisors. And I thought I needed a financial advisor myself. And when I was looking around for my own advisor, I was like, they're all the same. They're all old white guys and they all just 
felt the same. And I thought it felt really unfair if you were looking for something different, especially as a woman. And I thought maybe this is it. This is my how I'm going to help people. I'm going to become a, a, an advisor. I'm going to help other women become financial advisors. This is like the thing. And so I became a Merrill Lynch financial advisor. And I was one of only women. of my, I had 25 people in my new class and I was the only woman. And um, to work with me, you had to have 250,000 in assets. And I didn't think anything of that because I had been around money on the trading floor making money. And I, I was like, this will be easy. I know people with money. And um, and I was bringing in clients with money. and um, But I was also meeting other people and I called them my pro bono clients, people who didn't have 250,000 in assets. And I laugh now thinking about um, the fact that if I took if I took the advice of my Merrill Lynch mentor who told me to pre-screen all my calls and make sure they have money before I even meet with them because they wouldn't even count as a client, if I listened to him, this business wouldn't exist because I looked at him and I said, I have plenty of time on my hands. I can have coffee with whoever I can want to have coffee with. And my first coffee date with a pro bono client was this woman who said, I have 250000 of student loan debt. And um, I make $50,000 a year and it's not the six-figure job I thought I'd have at a law school. And the the thing that she said that resonated the most to me or really spoke to my soul was, I feel unlovable with all this debt. Like who would want to marry me with all this debt? And and I didn't know how to help her at Merrill Lynch, but I wanted to help her. It was, again, this whole thing of like, I just, maybe this is my purpose. And, um, and I did... a financial plan for on the side. And then I started the, that it became this series of like pro bono meetings and this dirty little secret of me meeting with people and doing plans on the side for free. And, um, and then I tell people I became the worst financial advisor ever because <laughs> I love the people with no money versus the people with money. And, and that all led to ultimately I called it my, I call it my Oprah aha week where that started out with a couple that had over a million dollars with me and we were doing their quarterly review and their portfolio was down Three percent, and they were just complaining about where their money was. They were like, you know, it was like the end of the world. They're like, how are the kids going to go to college? Like, how are we going to do all these things? Meanwhile, they're both making six figures, and it's like not big problems. And I spent an hour of my life making them feel better about being a little less rich, and it was really soul sucking. Yeah. And two days later, I did a financial plan for a pro bono client. Uh, a woman then plan just like our plans at the gym. Here's how much you need to save. Here's how you deal with the credit cards. Here's how you deal with student loans. Just bullet it out. And at the end of the meeting, she said, you know, you're saving my life, right? And I was like, it was, that was the aha. I said, I have to create a business for people like this, which is the majority of Americans. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And, and I say, it's so frustrating because every financial services company wants to work with people with 250,000 in assets. It's like having a gym with only fit people in it. And everybody's like falling over those people, but nobody wants to help the people trying to figure it out. And they want to give them an app or a website or a bot. And I'm like, people need to actually talk to a human being. And, um, and at the time I was on a weight loss journey and I'd lost over 50 pounds and my Weight Watchers and working out. And I remember thinking when I was ready to get physically fit, I had so many options of where I could go and what I could do. But if people want to get financially fit, if they're ready to work on their finances, where would they go? And I thought you would go to a financial gym. And it all became, it just all hit me at once. I was like, it's like H&R Block, but fun and cool. And instead of financial advisors, they're trainers and jeans and t-shirts. And 
and you don't, it doesn't matter what you wear. It's like a regular gym membership. You pay a monthly fee and, um, and it doesn't matter what you look like financially. You can get help no matter what. And that was six years, almost seven years ago now, this coming up February, it'll be seven years. And I was like, I have to do, it was just, I was obsessed. It all came to me. It was like all the things from reading the book. It just all was like, this is it. And um, so I left Merrill. I never knew anything about starting a business. I had no clue. Um, The only advice I got from people was prove the model works and, and then you can raise money. And so I then called the next two years, my dark years, because I was working with clients, trying to not charge them a lot of money but had personal expenses. So I was going through my personal life savings. And um, after two years, I had gone through everything in my 401k. So the joke now is if you go to the gym in New York, you're sitting in my 401k. Because um, <laughs> that's everything. It was two hundred over $250,000 was in that. And I remember taking the last money out and telling my then husband, like, I'm literally worth nothing. Like I was crying. I was like, I have literally nothing to me. And I need to go back and work for the bank. I mean, I have to make money again. This has been fun helping people, but I, you know, we can't do this anymore. And he said, you're on to something. So, you know, let's keep going. He's like, I still have some money left in my IRA. Let's keep going. And then literally a month later, I had coffee with a former boss of mine at Merrill Lynch. And um, I was telling him about what I was doing and how I was helping people. And he told me about how he got fired from Merrill. And he's like, I have the severance payout. What do you think I should do? And I was like, I think you should invest in a small financial services company that's about to run out of money. And um, that was my first $100,000 check. And it came in an envelope that said, knock, I'm dead. And I still have the envelope. And since then, to date, I've raised $7.3 million for the financial gym. And we have opened up our first... We opened up our location headquarters in New York, we now have two floors in that building. We are I'm out here in LA with you because we will be opening our LA location in um, March of 2020. We are opening our DC location in January of 2020. And we are opening up Brooklyn in March of 2020. Wow. Congratulations. So, thank you. So yes. And then... Um, to date now, we have over 3,000 clients across the country in 49 states and uh, the District of Columbia. And um, our clients' ages range from 17 to 74. Um, they have $0 in the bank when they start with $0 to $8 million, $0 of debt to seven figures of debt um, and everything in between. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. I mean, it almost makes me emotional, I think, because I've had so many just like ups and downs and roller coaster emotions with money. And I resonate so deeply with the people that, you know, don't have anything or aren't worth the time of those like big financial advisors, um, but still wanting to like be supported in that way. And I think it's, it's so interesting because there is this like, this caste system of like, you you know, yes. the, the people that don't have a lot of money just aren't helped and aren't supported in a way to be able to make money in this yeah. way. How do they figure it yeah. out? How yeah. do you figure it out? The, it's, the resources are confusing at times or you're just not given any time. So to be able to have this model and this container for someone to not only like support you in it, yeah. but also guide you and, and teach you in a way that's really accessible and really easy is just, it's, I mean, it's life-changing. Yeah. It is life-changing. Yeah. For me, you know, for me, it's, it, it was that woman, you know, almost seven years ago now. And I, I'm seven years later, I still 
know exactly how I felt when she said that to me. And I was like, there was the first time I heard it. And I was like, a financial plan saving a life. Like, you know, I was, I'd never even imagined that. And now, you know, to date I've got over, um, over 40 trainers now helping clients. And they're like, I love when they come to me and they're like, they show me the emails and the texts and like the um, things, you know, Victoria is your trainer. I just got an amazing three page email from one of her clients saying that literally she felt like she was in like despair. Like there was nowhere for her to go. And she wrote in a, in a prayer journal, like, please just tell me what to do and I will do it. And the next day she got an Instagram ad from the gym Mm -hmm. and and then ended up paired with Victoria. And she's like, it's just, just changed her life. And I'm like, so there are times where times that you can imagine of the journey of building this over seven years, so many ups and downs for me personally and financially and, and personally and everything. I mean, literally everything I own is in this, but I tell people all the time, like the best return on investment for me is the client stories. Like I, somebody asked me recently, they're like, what's your you know, your aha or like your, you know, like how, you know, you've made it or success thing or whatever. And I said, honestly, it's every single day. Cause almost every single day I get a message like that, whether it's on Instagram or, you know, an email, or we have a Slack channel for client success stories. And that's like the best return on my 401k investment ever. It really is. I mean, it just, it is life-changing and to watch it happen is, um, you know, it's the reason why I keep, why I keep doing this is for the clients. So to have that transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and kind of going back to what I said at the beginning, you know, money is such a touchy topic Mm -mm. for majority of human beings. You know, you're either scared of it or- A hundred percent of people experience financial anxiety. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, even if you come from a family of wealth, Mm -hmm. you're still, you still have some sort of belief or story around money. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't doesn't miss anybody. Nope. Um, So I'm curious for those that are listening, how can we start to get a hold of our like finances and feel good at least in a place of you know being able to look at our bank account in a healthy way yeah. or feeling a little bit more secure mm-hmm. in at least starting to look at it you know yeah. Yeah. So a few things. The two words we hear all the time at the gym are fear and shame. Um, I'm afraid that I'll never pay off my student loans. I'm afraid that I'll never have anything saved for retirement. I'm ashamed that I have credit card debt. I'm ashamed I'm not making enough. So many stories, so many um, things like that, that we're hearing. And, you know, money is we need money to exist. It's it's part of our DNA. We we need it. Whether whether or not we feel connected to it or however we feel about it, we need it. And and so for me to think about fear and shame being a part of our DNA and and flowing through people, it's it's what motivates me every day to get out of bed and um and help as many people as we can because it, it it's we have to change the dialogue from fear and shame to empowerment and enjoyment because that's what it is. And it, and it's a mental game more than anything else. It's, it's letting, dropping these storylines and embracing more positive storylines around your money. And 
you know, a re- big reason why people have fear and shame is that money is the ultimate taboo topic. I mean, we're not talking about it. We're not talking about it at home growing up. We're not talking about it in schools. We're not talking about it at work. I mean, we're just not talking about it. We talk about sex more than we do about money. And so we don't really know what things should look like. And we tell ourselves these negative storylines around money because we don't know what it should be and how much you should have. And, um, and so, you know, I think the first thing is like, finding out a way to, you know, if you're feeling fear and shame and negative emotions is, you know, letting them go and understanding that everything you do financially is fixable. Everything is fixable. It's just how much fixing do we have to do? We've got clients who are 72 and retirement who are, we're making, they're fixing their finances so that they can um, afford to live on their social security. And it doesn't matter at what age you start it. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever point you start your journey, everything's fixable. So the but you have to start doing it though is the is the key and so i just say you know let un, understanding that um you have to have more positive storyline around money but knowing everything's fixable that's just half the battle yeah. so um and knowing you're not alone that's a, you know the third thing too is that people feel really isolated in their financial experiences because we're not talking about it so they're you know they're like well, I'm ashamed I have this debt. Well, you know what? A lot of people have debt. It's mm-hmm. no big deal. Like it is no big deal. We kind of we kind of laugh at the gym. If somebody's got less than $35,000 of credit card debt and less than $150,000 of student loan debt, we're like, no big deal. Yeah. This is no big deal. Yeah. Like no big deal. Well, it's so true too, because when I first talked to Victoria and I'll be like totally honest with everybody on the podcast, I had about like six or $7,000 in credit card debt. Yeah. And I was like, Victoria... Yeah, and you were like, bad? yeah. <laughs> and she probably laughed at you, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Like, no. It's fine. Because, and I think also debt is kind of, you know, like it's villain, villainified. Yeah. It's it's, and you're you shamed. Yeah. yeah. You're shamed about it. And yeah, and we have clients that, that say that they're like, I'm ashamed of this. Well, you know what? Who cares? And what we say is it doesn't matter how you got where you are. Um, Nobody has a perfect financial background, myself included. I have my my podcast called Martinis and Your Money. We call it getting financially naked the first time you come um, to the gym. I got financially naked on on the podcast. You can listen to that. Everybody can hear what's in my bank account. And um, for me, like I got uh, financially unhealthy when I started building the gym because I was going through everything I own personally. I had sixty thousand dollars of credit card debt and. You know, and so I had shame because here I am building a business around financial health, and I knew I was not financially healthy, but I was not financially healthy for the business. And I said to myself, and why I kept pushing forward through the business, I was like, I know how to fix this. I know how to fix this situation, um, but millions of people don't know how to fix it. So that's why I have to keep, you know, putting my personal finances in a mess to do it. I finally, ultimately, had to sell my house that my son was in, and. Um, you know, that was a difficult conversation. Um, you know, sometimes getting financially healthy, it's going to be some really difficult, challenging situations. You're going to have to deal with some things to break through it. But, um, you know, we've had clients come to us and start working on their money and then they realize all this anxiety that comes out of it. And then they have to get therapy because to deal with the anxiety, but it's going to take work for some people, but I, I promise you, you put the work in, you will get the results. Yeah. You know, you will get the results. It's just might be some more work, but 
I tell the team all the time too. I'm like, I'm so happy that we help people get physically, financially healthy because we can get really quick results. And we do with our clients versus like physically healthy because it takes more time. I mean, I, I, you know, it took me a long time to get on my weight loss journey and to lose the weight and get physically healthy, but we can get people financially healthy really quickly if, you know, they're willing to put in the work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back to um, the idea of like changing your story and your relationship with it is you you have this, yes, there's the fear and the shame, but then you also have an opportunity to be like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. Like yeah. I am finally getting a hold of my finances. I'm finally going to open my bank account. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I know that this is the first step in me getting financially fit. This is the yeah. first step in me getting everything together. So I do feel good. And so there's like, two ways that you can look at it. It can be the fear and the shame, or it could be really proud of yourself for taking that step. Yeah. It's empowering. I, I got, somebody asked me not too long ago, what is, what does getting financially naked mean to you in one word? And, um, I said brave because it is brave to confront the fear, the shame. It, it takes bravery to do it. I, every single one of our clients that comes in that shares that uh, the trainers, my trainers get trained on, I mean, they get trained on knowing how you're feeling across the table because we've been doing it so long that we know and we tell the trainers and we call the Financially Naked session because we know that you are literally stripping bare. You're literally getting the equivalent of taking all your clothes off in front of us and we're sitting fully clothed looking at you. And so it is our job to make you feel really comfortable with your state and um and to believe in the possibility of what you can create now that you are you know sharing it and now we move forward and and work on it and um but it's extremely brave and um then it takes time and it's scary to like push through it but um you will get results yeah so on the topic of debt how do we start to get out of debt? Like, yeah. what would you say? I think for me, just so I can share, it was also looking at like my, because I only have credit card debt. I don't have any student loan debt, thankfully. It was looking at the credit cards that I have and like the APR rate and mm-hmm. starting with the one that had the highest APR rate and setting up like uh, automatic payments mm-hmm. every month. And then also adding in however much I can throughout the month to like add on to the payments. But Mm -hmm. that was very, very specific to me. So as a more like general for someone that is in debt, maybe whether it's credit card or student loan debt, what would you say, or all of it, all the debt? Yeah. um, What would you say are good ways for us to start um, making those shifts? Well, the first thing is knowing your debt. Um, and putting it, you know, starting with an Excel spreadsheet, you know, wh- wh- where is all of it and what is all of it? So you want to know, okay, all the credit cards, all the balances, you know, so across, you know, all credit cards, balances and interest rates. So Ava, you said APR, if people don't know, what's the interest rate um, on the credit card, on the student loans, on the personal loans, on the car loan, you know, fill whatever other loans you have and um, and list them out. And um and then, you know, and then after that, and that's actually really hard. That's like stepping on the scale and weighing yourself and you don't want to know, but that's the first step. Where is all of it? What is all of it? Because you can't create a plan unless you know what you're dealing with. So from that point, then you want, there's a few different ways to tackle your debt. There's three different um, methods we look at. At what you did, 
at the gym and what we do, we call it the avalanche method, which is tackling your highest interest rate debt first. And um, because that costs you the most and making sure you're paying that and devoting as much payments as possible to that debt, potentially lowering that debt as well. So if you're depending on your credit score, um, also part of the process when you're laying out the debt, know what your credit score is. And you could find that through your credit card accounts or Credit Karma or Credit Sesame. You could get that for free. Um, If your credit score is over a 700, like a 720, then you have some options on how you can refinance and get some lower interest rates on your debts. If it's lower than that, then we say say you're going to have to do it the the good old hard fashion way, old fashioned way of hard work until we can get that credit score up and then have some more options. But so either lower, finding a way to lower the highest interest rate debt or tackling that first. If you have student loan debt, this is a thing I just want to point out that a lot of people say, oh, I should refinance and uh, my loans have a lower interest rate. There's companies like SoFi and Common Bond and, and people want to do that. And I would say, make sure you know what kind of student loan debt you have. So if it's if it's federal debt or private debt, If you have federal student loans, we would never tell you to refinance that and get a lower rate. And the reason is that federal student loans have literally dozens of repayment options. So um, there's hardship, like if you lose your job, if you become disabled, if um, you you're making less, you have a family. Like there's different ways that you can repay that, and different flexibility that you can have. And for a lot of people, you're looking at a 20 year journey of repaying that debt. You want the most flexibility on 20 years as possible. So once you, if you refinance that though and got a lower interest rate, you lose all of the repayment flexibility. So it is 100% worth it for to keep the flexibility. So we would never tell you to refinance your federal student loans. We tell you to consolidate those, make sure you have, you know, as minimal amount as possible. On the on the private student loans, we will look at at getting a lower interest rate on those because if you refinance your private loans with either SoFi or Common Bond, it's going private to private. So refinancing with the federal loans goes federal to private and you lose all the federal stuff. So private to private is fine. And then it's, and then, so that's the highest interest rate first avalanche. That's what we believe in at the gym. Some people will say doing the snowball method, which is tackling your smallest debts first. So if you have a credit card with a $700 balance, tackle that, then tackle the one with a $2,000 balance and, and, you know, kind of cross them off. That's the snowball method. That worked that some people feel better about that because they feel like they're actually get ch- you know chipping away with things. The math doesn't work out, it, you know, but if that's what works for you, do it. It's whatever's going to work best for you. The third is tackling the most emotional debt first. Mm-hmm. Like when you look at the debt on your spreadsheet, what makes you feel the angriest and you just have to get rid of it and work on, and do that first because it's creating all this emotional energy. And how do we get that off sooner than later? Those are the three methods and some combination. You know, we've had clients do some kind of combination, but pick the plan and then you start, you know, put allocating your money to the different, you know, in that, in that order of priority. Yeah. And what I like too, is that it doesn't have to happen all at once. Yeah, It's just like taking one step at a time. And I think that when we like first sit down and look at our finances, especially if we're doing it alone, it can be like, oh my God, like, I don't know what to do. And I have to like pay all of these things off and what's going to happen. But what I loved about Victoria, Victoria has to listen to this episode since we're giving her so much love. (laughs) (laughs) um, Is that it just really felt like it was like, 
don't need to uh, to rush anything like one step at a time. You're good. Yeah. I think that's a huge, that's a great point, Ava. A huge thing I would say too is, does it matter whatever financial journey you're about to set on, go, you know, set yourself on to, it is a journey. It is a process. It is not an overnight process. So, you know, giving yourself that, um, that space to know, you know, it's not going to be an overnight thing. We, you know, the reference we give our clients is like deciding you're going to run a marathon. If you decide you're going to run a marathon, you are not tomorrow going to run 20 plus miles. You are going to have a training program. It is going to be, um, you know, over a long period of time, months and months and months of training. And you are going to do a little bit at a time and you're going to work up to it. And you are going to have rest days. You are going to have setbacks. But over that course of, you know, countless months, you're going to eventually work up to the 20 plus miles. It's the same thing with, you know, debt repayment or savings goals or any kind of financial journey you're going to go on it's going to take time. I mean, I've been working with clients now for seven years. Uh, clients one, two, and three of the gym, we, we're on six-year reviews with them. And um, they're still working on things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they there's always something, there's always a next thing. And um, and it's just, you know, reprioritizing, redirecting, but it's, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I would love to like kind of dive into with you is the money habits, like creating mm-hmm. new money habits. Um, because over the past year, there's been times when I've gotten large sums of money and been like, okay, perfect. I'll pay off my debt with this large sum of money, like $4,000 or something like that. All my debt's gone. Great. Yeah. But then it comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, so can we talk a little bit about like money habits and spending yeah. habits and how paying off your debt in one big chunk might not always be the best yeah. uh, option for you, especially if you are an overspender or like swiping your credit card. Yeah. Well, and you have the challenge. I mean, freelancer finances are very difficult to manage. Yeah. It is the number one employer uh, at the financial gym is self-employed. We have a lot of freelancing, um, solopreneurs, uh, you know, influencers. We have so many... Um, so many self-employed clients and it's really really challenging to to manage a healthy financial lifestyle because it's so the the um, ups and downs and especially on, on getting paid is so erratic that it just naturally creates this erratic um you know spending it's like binging and purging kind yeah. of thing um because that's how you're getting paid so it, it's really important to kind of create some kind of level set um environment for yourself and almost like not think about the big payments it just it all goes to like one location and then you kind of create more of a stable experience but um yeah. So for us, like we have a balanced approach with our clients. We really want them to be saving, especially have emergency funds and um, saving for the big life goals and then also manage, you know, their debt at the same time. So, so yeah, we would really say take all of this and pay it down. There's probably life goals you're saving for too, that that money should go toward. But if you're constantly feeling like if you have credit card debt and you have a difficult time getting rid of it um, with your normal paychecks and in a norm, I'm saying normal, you know, and with air quotes, if you have a difficult time, then you have a spending challenge because credit cards are um, when you don't have cash. And so that means that's just your like 
hint to yourself, you have a spending problem. And um, there's a few things. The first thing is creating mindfulness around your money is step one. Um, You know, most people come in and complain. They're like, I don't know where all my money's going. It's because we're not being mindful about it. We're not opening up statements. We're not looking at it. We have to commit to knowing where our money's going. And why it's so important is I tell people all the time, we work really hard for every dollar that we make. I don't care what you do. You get out of bed every day. It it takes a lot for you to earn every single dollar. You should want to make it difficult to spend your money. And yet there's so many ways that it's easy for your money to go out between debit, debit, credit cards, apps, and and services that, you know, you have to you have to counterbalance that with being more mindful of it. So um, there's different ways to be more mindful. Expense tracking is one, like actually writing down how much you're spending or using an app to like know every day exactly how much you're spending um, and looking at it and not with judgment, but like starting to look at where your money's going every day instead of just, it's just this, you know, money's kind of going around in this like amorphous shape and you don't know, like actually tracking it every day, using cash more than debit and credit cards because cash is actually the ultimate mindfulness. Like you actually, when you have to count it out and see that you put $200 in your wallet for the week and it's gone by Wednesday, well then you have to Netflix and chill for the rest of the week. You know, it's actually gone. Um, Creating cash budgets and then um, creating like different challenges for yourself around um, spending. And then the fourth is creating and focusing on your goals like and creating really meaningful goals and focus for where your money should be going. So one of the last questions we ask at the first session of the gym is what's important to you? What are your sacred cows? And what we're saying is, what are the one or two areas of how you spend your money that are non-negotiables that you have to, you need to survive and thrive in life? And we always say you can't have a herd of cows. You can have one or two. So is it health and wellness? Is it uh, your therapist? Is it your fur baby? Is it you know travel? Is it um, family? What are the one or two things? And then prior to and and then really kind of create a connection to that and make those a priority of how you spend your money and then everything else so has to be a non-negotiable has to be negotiable so um you know every you have to think is this a sacred cow for me like if you're going to take uber or like however you're spending your money you have to think to yourself is this one of my sacred cows because most people's sacred cows are all the things I just said, travel, um, health and wellness, uh, family, fur babies. But when we start tracking our clients' expenses, especially in New York, um, but pretty much across the board, the top spending areas are Uber, Seamless, Amazon, Dwayne Reed, which is like a... a, a um, yeah, like CVS yeah. um, or, you know, those are the top ones. Um and I would say nobody lists those as sacred cows, yeah. right? But it's because they're just not mindful of it. And so what, what then what you do is like, okay, well, if, if Amazon's not a sacred cow, um, and most retail spending are not people's sacred cows. I had a client one time we did our first quarter review and all of our money was going to retail, to shopping. And I said, is this a sacred cow? Because this is all, where all the money's going. And she's like, no. And I was like, okay, well, then we're going to have to create some exercises to kind of control it. And, um, and I said, you know, what's going on? And she's like, well, she wanted to move out of the house with her sister. She's 53 years old and divorced. And she was, um, you know, wanted to move out, but didn't know how much she was spending. So, um, 
when I talked to her about her retail spending, I was like, what's going on? She's like, well, I get really depressed because I'm living home with my sister and I go to Starbucks and I go shopping. And so it's retail therapy is a real thing. It is a real thing. Um, so I didn't want to take that away from her hundred percent, but her sacred cows were live concerts and travel. And so I wanted her to make really confident choices in that area and not let money, you know, go out and the things that don't really bring her joy. So I said, well, what are we going to do? And so we created spending limits. So I said, okay, for every stop, you can spend more than $50, no more than $50 at any one time. That's like, first of all, let's set a limit. Two, um, she's like, okay, Target, I'll only go to Target for food because... um, she was food. And then I said, Target has like a hundred dollar cover charge. You know, like I feel like I can't get out of that place without a hundred dollars. Right. So, so don't do that. You know, if you know, it's like a problem area, then avoid it or create some boundaries for yourself. So, so she said, you know, okay, I'm only going to go for food. Then she said, I'm going to try on my clothes because, um, she's like, I, uh, I go, I get clothes, I bring them home, I don't try them on, and then I don't return them. And that was like my first time ever with a client. Her goal was to not try to try and close to save money. So then we met the next quarter and she was doing better, but she had a whole bunch of shoe purchases. And <laughs> I was like, I get it. You tried them on. You, you know, she tried them on. So she's like, I'm trying, you know. So I was like, we're moving in the right direction, right? It's a process. So then by the third quarter, she did amazing. And I was like, oh my God, like you did so great. And she's like, but I was having fun. And I'm like, yeah, you can have fun doing this. She um she saw Tom Petty right before he died. So live concerts. And she had traveled to Nashville with a friend and travel. So she did the things she loved and she just like had this spending other stuff under control. Now she's been with me almost four years now. Now, I mean, her retail's not even a thing on her spending anymore. It's like, I don't even know who this person is. And um, she tells me, she's like, I, so I, she used to have a problem with TJ Maxx and she would tell herself she was buying cheap clothes. Now what she says is she looks at the original prices on, instead of saying, oh, it's only $9.99. I look at is it $59.99? And she's like, if I wouldn't spend $59.99 for the shirt, I'm not going to spend $9.99 for the shirt. Like she did that herself. And and I love it. And you know, I tell you, it's a process. So if you've got spending challenges, it is this process in a series of steps and it will take time. And you know, the other step too is we'll tell clients, create a, a fun fund for yourself. So if you know that you have a bad day and you need to go buy something, like you just know, well then automatically save every month into an account that's called your fun fund or your splurge fund or your slush fund or whatever. And that way, when you have a bad, you have those feelings and you're like, you just want to spend, look at how much you have in that account. And if you've got $200, then you have $200. If you have $5, then you have $5, you know, whatever is in that account, then you can know you can spend that and you've planned for it. A lot of times what we see is clients have a bad day they go out, they swipe a card and then, then they have a hangover effect. Like they don't feel good. Like it, they felt good in the moment, but then they're like, ah, oh, now I have the credit card debt and it really wasn't that great. So planning in advance for it too. We have so, as you can imagine, we have so many tips and tricks for our clients because we're, we're constantly trying to find what's the thing that's going to work for them. We've had clients, we've identified problem areas of places that are on their way home from work. So they changed their route to go home from work. We've had clients delete the payment options from their apps so that, especially Amazon, so that it's very difficult for them to, that have to, have to, uh, 
to buy something. They have to make a conscious decision. We've had clients um, do online shopping, fill up a cart, and then I had clients do it, fill up a cart, and then literally X out and like, like, delete the cart yeah. and, and and get the same feeling they had as if they bought it. We've had clients load up the cart and then wait seven days. And do they still really love everything? Um, what about clients that have their credit card uh, memorized? Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> um, that's, we, we had that too. Um, we, that, that is, uh, we're, we're like, you have to get a new card. Um, we will, uh, we'll literally say, how about we try a new card? And, um, I've got a client, I have her credit card in my wallet right now. I've had a client's credit card for almost a year and a half now. <laughs> we have trainers have had clients, um, put credit cards in freezers. We have credit cards in some of the client files at the gym. I mean, you know, we're finding like, we've had clients have to go on cash diets mm-hmm. because they know that they can't handle credit cards. Um, it's not for every credit cards aren't for everybody. And if they're going to get you in trouble, let's take away the thing that's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. What would you say are like the top issues or struggles that you see with people? Number one is mindfulness around money. They just don't know. Um, they say I make money. I don't know where it goes. Um, so that's number one. Number two, especially for women, is not making enough money. So, you know, 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Some of it is the expense management side. We need to manage the lifestyle down and, you know, and we give our clients those goals. The other half is the paycheck's just not large enough. Yeah. And... um we literally tell our clients what the paycheck should be. And what happens is we've had, we've had times because we, we will financially quantify all your goals. And that's what we do in our plan. You tell us everything you want. We're going to get, give you the financial ver- what that costs. And then we'll, we'll tell you how much you have to make for all of it to happen. And, um, we've had, had clients that they might be making like 40,000. I just interviewed a, a client on my podcast. She was making $40,000 a year. Her trainer told her that her income number was ninety five thousand. So she's making forty. The trainer tells her ninety five, and it's funny because when new trainers get trained, this particular section, they're like, "How do I say this and not be an asshole?" Yeah. Like, because like here, here's this one making forty. I'm telling her ninety five. I don't want to sound like an asshole. And that's just to like upkeep the lifestyle that she wants. Yeah, for all the things that she wants yeah. to happen. Like the. And so, and the way that we tell what, what I tell the trainers, what we tell the trainers as, you know, in our leadership team is you're giving her the number where all her hopes and dreams come true. Mm-hmm. Like it's just that it, that's the number. And she could either cut back the expenses, you know, to make her salary work. Or what about if she made this, changed her trajectory and started to make something like this, then everything she wants is going to happen and and she can do it. And now, and what happens is one of two things with the client side, when they receive it, one, people will be like, yeah, if I can make 95, I would. Thanks asshole. Um, you know, that's probably how they're feeling. Um, but the other half are like, I just didn't know, like, I didn't know how much I needed to make. I didn't know. So then they start they start looking for jobs that pay that they start asking for raises at their companies. They start side hustling to make more money. She had a, a side hustle that she was like, okay, I've got to take on X number of clients to get to this to make that number. And so six months later, she's she's making $100,000 now. That's amazing. In six months. She went from forty dollars to $100,000 because she started to like 
that's what I need for my for everything to happen. We've had clients get $20,000 raises in like a matter of a month or two, or like they start looking for jobs and they look for jobs in the price range and the income range that they need. And they know that they need it. Um, you know, especially for women, they're scared to ask what they're worth or they're like, I don't know if I'm qualified for this job and and it pays more. Yes, you're qualified for it. You have a lot of qualities that make you qualified for it and don't be afraid to ask for it. And then they get it. You're like, what's the worst going to happen? They're going to tell you no. Or what about you get it and then everything you wanted is going to be easier for you to maintain. Yeah. That's amazing. I love yeah. that so much. So from business owner to business owner, mm-hmm. one of the things that I have struggled with in the past, and I know a lot of other business owners, especially just starting out, struggle with is how to know how much to spend on your business, mm-hmm. how much to invest, how much to save, mm-hmm. and then how much to, how to like actually pay yourself. Yeah, especially in those first beginning years. So, do you have any tips for that? Yeah. So there's um, the. The best case scenario before you even start the business um, is to have 12 months of your monthly expenses saved. So I always tell people there's two ways to start a business. One is be financially prepared for it and know that businesses are ups and downs. And you could have the best idea ever, but it's going to take some time to develop. So create 12 months of savings so that you can pay yourself. So we have clients, you know, save up to that. We figure out what their monthly expenses are. And then they create, they put all of it in the savings account, then they automatically pay themselves like twice a month from that account. So it's like a paycheck. So then they could live like they have a paycheck and then all of the money they make from the business refuels that account and they know they're constantly paying themselves. So that gives them time to build and work on the business and then have it feel like they have a paycheck. That's one. Two is um, the way I went, which is you're just super passionate about what you want to do. Same. Yeah. And you're willing to go through the pain of... Because you'll make it work no matter what. Financially, it's not the best route. um, But you will get through it because your passion will like will sustain you. Um, so as far as managing that, um, you know, the the biggest thing is don't overextend on the expenses for your business early on because um and, and that was a mistake I made. I was like, I need a place for people to meet with me. So and this was before we work even happened. So I was spending like twenty five hundred dollars a month for an office space in New York and I had like three clients. Like and they didn't care where we met. And so I was burning through so much money. Um, I spent so much money on a lawyer that, you know, I didn't need a lawyer. I, you know, there's like legal zoom and there's like other things like that. Um, I spent a lot of money on like branding and stuff. And it's like, you could get it done with Fiverr. Or like there's so many other ways to, to, you know, you could do a website yourself, like with some YouTube videos and, um, you know, YouTube alone is like, that you could find anything for your business on YouTube. You could probably find out, you know, your own legal practice and on YouTube. So take the time and invest time into it instead of money, because when you start a business, money is your ultimate like scarcity. So especially early on. So I would say keep all the expenses as low as possible. Like really don't invest in a lot, really make it like bootstrap it. Then as the business starts making more money, um, you can start, you know, up tiering in certain areas and actually like invest. But I would think about investing as like, as your return on the investment, like what are you going to get for it? So we'll have clients like, I need a new website. Okay. Like, well, what is that website? How much money is that website going to give you? 
you say you need it. Do you really need it? Or maybe what you need is to put, to put that money into like an Instagram ad or mm-hmm. Facebook, ad, like that's going to bring you better service. Or, you know, maybe you need to invest in an assistant to give you more time because you're wasting too much time on non-productive things. And then you're going to re- get a return on, because you're going to be able to take on more projects because yeah. you have somebody doing tasky things. Um, invest in an accountant. I think you should definitely invest in an accountant. Um, it's a write-off for the business and it'll really help you as far as managing expenses. Always make sure... And then on the other side too with your business is making sure you're pricing everything well too. So as far as like how much you're making, I think a big problem that business owners have is they underprice a lot or they don't take into effect all uh, into effect all the costs they have with the business that they wouldn't have if they were W-2 employees. So um, you're going to have to pay taxes. So um, you're going to have to save, you're going to have to pay for healthcare for yourself if you don't have a significant other that you can um, rely on. So um, so when you're, you know, instead of charging $1,000, we say like tax and gratuity. So you had to charge 1000 add on the 20% for taxes that you're going to have to pay 20 to 30%. Then add on if you want to save, you know, so you can actually keep some of that 15% or 20% for savings. So instead of charging them a thousand, you really need to charge like $1,400. And, um, and so up tiering how much you're charging, because, um, you know, that's, too many times they're not you're not making enough. And then also looking for bartering opportunities too as a way to like grow your business. You just I think it's early on in a business is like how can you keep it going by keeping costs as low as possible because you know you run out of money and then there goes the business. Yeah. So keeping costs as low as possible. Then as a business grows, when you're making investments in the business and how do you do it? It's what am I going to get from this investment? Because it's easy to justify a lot of spending around a business, but you have to think, what am I going to get from this? If I put $1,000 into this, what do I think it's going to bring back to the business? Is it going to bring back $2,000 to the business? Then great. That's a great return. You're getting, you know, two for one on your investment. Perfect. But if you're going to get a thousand and you don't know what you're going to get back, then maybe you shouldn't invest a thousand dollars. Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, what I've found, because I've gone through these like periods of, okay, I'm going to um, invest a lot in my business, get a producer for the podcast, have somebody help me with my social media, have somebody help me like manage the podcast itself. And then I'm like, have all of these expenses and all of the money that I'm making is just going back into the business. And mm-hmm. so it's been really interesting over the past year, noticing myself like building up all of these expenses and then being like, oh, wait, but I now feel like constricted. Yeah. And I feel like chained into all of these things. So then I'm going to peel things back yeah. and let some things go. And then I notice myself be like, oh, now this money's freed so I can bring this person onto my team or something like that. So it's been a really interesting, again, just like roller coaster of figuring out what is like, a necessity Mm -hmm. that allows me to also like be in my zone of genius and not have to do like the tasky things. Um, But also the things that are like more nice to have that I could probably do on my own until it gets more foundational. Yeah. I mean, we all want the nice to have things, right? Like I, I, you know, for me, for the, when I started my podcast initially, my then husband was my editor and, um, and then um, by the time it grew, I, I paid for, you know, an editor. But, um, you know, the other thing too is like, look in your network. That's what I'm saying with bartering. Like you might like, right? Like for the last, um, gosh, four years, my podcast note writer has been a listener, listeners of my show. Like, and they just love the show. And I don't pay that much to them because 
you know, I think I paid $12 an hour to my podcast um, note writer. And she's like, I just love hearing the show before it, yeah, it airs, yeah. you know, like, and I put it out there. I have a Facebook group for my show. And I was like, hey, who wants to, you know, do podcast story? I'm not paying a lot. I can't afford a lot. Um, who wants to do that? Like, or, you know, you, you know, you have a network, you have fans, like a lot of them probably just want to help out and you can, or like you could offer your services for somebody to offer their services and then, um, or pooling services. You just have to be really creative. Um, until like I, I had a business owner, uh, have a business owner client and the business was making, business was making, it kept growing revenue wise. It was making over a million dollars. It's like $1.5 million. So when she looks at the revenue, she's like, this business makes sense. But then when we look at the final numbers, it was like netting out like $40,000. And I was like, this does not make like from beginning to end. And she was paying a salary. She had salary in the middle of that. But I was like, where's all this money going? And she had expensive employees. Um, it was mostly employee expenses. And she was like, well, I need the employees to take on the new clients and things like that. But I was like, but then you have all these expenses. And at the end of the day, you're so stressed out because you've got all these people and you're not even bringing home that much money at the end of the day. What if you just went back to just you? You know, what would happen and how much money could you just make? And, you know, maybe you can just make yourself 400,000, but it's all going to just you and your expenses are a lot lower. You'd probably net more than that $40,000 and you have a lot less headache. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, not even, but there was so, the business was just consuming so much expenses that it, it just didn't even make sense at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Or I was like, or sometimes we've had clients we've had to coach into back into a regular job, a nine to five job, you know, a W2 job. I'm like you could make more. You've learned all these skill sets. You can now take them back into a company and have a regular paycheck and actually do really well. And, you know, it's not a failure. I think some people feel like it's a failure if you go back to that or, you know, you have that. But, um, it to ha, being brave enough to start a business is um, not a failure, and it's it's not a failure to pivot and change what yeah. you do. Yeah, and I think it's just constantly checking in with yourself and remembering that like your mental and emotional well being takes precedent to your ego wanting to be super successful in yeah. building your own business. You know, if you feel better in a position where you know consistently that the money's coming in, you have healthcare taken care of, you have kids, then you are able to feed them and mm-hmm. you feel good, that should be way more important than creating something that's bringing you so much stress. Yeah. I think it could just be a not right now yeah. thing. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, you know, I, when I was in that two-year mark, I was like ready to go back to the nine-to-five job. I was ready to do it. Um and I did, I had a great experience, but I was like, I just can't keep sustaining this. It's not sustainable. Um, and then the universe said no to me. <laughs> um, the universe does that to me when I'm really like, when I'm like, ah, and I push it, then money comes in. Um, but yeah, it's not for everybody and that's okay. Yeah. So what would you say are like three things that people can implement today in order to feel more financially fit, more secure about their finances? So three things. I think number one is is take take an assessment of where you are today. So go through, you, you should know where all your bank accounts are, 
where everything is um, and, and list it out, you know, in Excel. So what's in the bank accounts, what's on the credit card, student loans, credit score, if you have 401ks, um, just know where everything is, um, is step one and, and take the time to find out what's happening. Two is, you know, set goals for yourself. And, uh, you know, goals are really important, especially, you know, thinking about coming in a new year and um, resolutions and things like that. I think for financial goals, it's set small ones, right? We all have big goals at some point of paying off all our student loans or saving for retirement. You know, these are all big goals, but start small. So create, say, I want to do, do like a money challenge on Pinterest. There's so many out there, right? Say I'm going to do one of those this month, or I'm going to do a no spend month. Like when do a challenge or like set small goals for yourself. Say I'm going to save five hundred dollars in January or, or February. Like set a small goal for yourself, and not a lot of goals. Like like focus on that and set a small goal where you can be successful because um, success breeds success, and so. If you have two grand goals and you don't accomplish anything, you'll just say, forget, I'm not going to do it. So create some small goals and accomplish them in the first quarter because then you can move on to bigger goals than that. Like then double everything the next time, yeah. but start small and have success and and then you'll know you can do it. And then you do the next thing the next time. And then um, the third thing is... Um, is focus on and figure out what your sacred cows are. Honestly, take some real time. I tell people when I present, like, what are the things you're working for? We have a slogan at the gym. What are you working for? Why do you get out of bed every day? Like, what do you want? What is, where is it you want your money to go? And it's probably not to TJ Maxx and Uber and Amazon. So what are those things? And, you know, make those a priority in your, in your spending and start thinking about everything else as, taking away from those things. Yeah. And I think just to like add to all of those, it's celebrating yourself along the way too, yes. and recognizing the work that you're doing and not just feeling like you said, like the $2,000 goal or something, not hitting that, but like a $500 goal, hitting that $500 goal and celebrating yourself or celebrating yeah. yourself at the end of the week. If you only spend a hundred dollars or, um, you know, $200 on all of your expenses. I think that we forget to celebrate ourselves along the way because again, going back to that fear and the shame, we still look at the debt or we still look at this big mountain that we have to climb for our savings. But if we can celebrate ourselves along the way, it makes the process more fun, yeah. more enjoyable, and we like love each other or love ourselves yeah. more. Yeah, realize that it's a work in progress. So we, you know, we give goals to our clients. And a lot of times in the first quarter, when they come in for their meetings, they're like, some of them don't want to come in because they're like, I failed, you know, I, so I don't even want to have it. And we're like, please come in. I know you might, I don't, I know all the feelings you're feeling. Please come in. Let's look at this. And what happens is, because we grade our clients, most of them are doing well. Like most of them are like doing better than they think. And so we might've told them to save $2,000 and they saved a thousand. So they're coming in saying, I failed. I didn't save 2000. And we're like, but you saved a thousand. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Like, yes, we set a, we set big goals for our clients, but like they did something or like, look, you didn't put more money on the credit card or look, you paid off $500 to your credit card. Like, look at the things you did. And I think that's really important is like, look at the things you've accomplished instead of focusing on the things you didn't accomplish mm -hmm. because you do a lot more than you think and you got to give yourself more credit. Yeah, I love that. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How can yes. we support you? How can we find the financial gym? Share us where we can find you. Yeah, so you can find uh, financialgym.com um, as our website and we're on Instagram at the 
Financial Gym on uh, Facebook, Financial Gym. Um, I'm personally on Instagram at the Shannon McLay. And um, yeah, come hang out with us and talk about money. It's our favorite topic. Yes. And can you share your podcast too for everyone? Oh, yes. I have a podcast called Martinis in Your Money, Living a Better Life One Cocktail at a Time. And that's on Stitcher and Apple and all those places. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. 